Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hope that you're doing well, nice and cozy, right? In your house, uh, man, um, look outside today and it's it's sunny right now. So maybe we could have pulled it off, but uh, uh, glad that you guys are joining us and um we have uh, a lot going on here. Today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, worship team, we're giving them a break. And so uh, they're going to, no worship today. And so uh, we'll, we'll kick that back in uh, next week. But giving them a break, giving them a rest. So uh, we're going to continue our study uh, as we're going through Jesus up close and personal. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 4 today. Uh, before we jump into that, though, I just want to highlight a few things. Uh, again, it's an interesting season. Hopefully you're enjoying it. It's getting darker a little sooner. The weather's getting a little bit colder. Maybe some of you actually used your heater already. And so uh, things have changed. And so it's a, it's a fun season. You can see behind me that we are ready for Christmas. So our house is pretty much all decorated. So I'm not sure how yours is doing, but we are fully ready for the Christmas fall season. Uh, as a church, uh, our connection group, we've ended the fall um, season of our uh, connection groups, and we're going to do a little mini winter Bible study season. And so signups are online right now through our website, or you can go on your church app. And so uh, you'll want to do that today. Today's kind of the last day to get that signed up so we can get that group organized. And we're going to be going through the book of Philippians. Uh, it's a great book for us to uh, jump into. It's a quick read, uh, but it's got a lot of great stuff in it. And so that's going to be four weeks. We're starting this next week. We'll take a break uh, for the week of Thanksgiving. So we'll run a couple weeks into December. But excited about that. It'll be something a little bit different where we're all going to not only learn how to kind of study the Bible a little bit more, but we're actually going to do it and, uh, and just have kind of a different format as far as um, when we get together. So that's happening. If you, again, if you want to jump on that, um, you'll want to do that today. Uh, other than that, I think that's about it for what's going on. Hopefully next week we'll be back on campus. We're always watching uh, the weather and uh, look forward just to, to seeing you guys uh, next week. I'm going to pray. We're going to go ahead and jump into things. And again, if you want to get uh, the Bible on your app ready or if you have that paper Bible with you, uh, you can turn to John chapter 4. Jesus, thank you so much um, just for revealing yourself to us, again, that we can have confidence that uh, no matter what season we're in, no matter what's going on around us, that we have um, and with that we know a God who is in control, who knows what is going to be happening in the future, and who can completely be trusted. And God, I pray for our hearts and minds right now as um, we're always battling that um, things happening internally with us. Or around us and it can distract us Lord from who you are and what you desire for us I pray that it can just be a kind of a calmness today as we engage with you and a real clarity uh, into our own hearts into this world but mostly a real clarity in who you are and um, and the joy that we have the peace that we have when we draw near to you praise in your name Jesus amen I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it's, a, it's an incredible feeling and there's incredible peace 
when you've had a relationship in your life where you can just absolutely trust them, right? Absolutely trust. There's, there's no worry. Whatever they, they say, you can believe. That's hard for us because as we get older and without even knowing it, we live in a world where distrust and mistrust is actually constantly happening, right? Just even growing up, your parents are the heroes. They're the end all and be all. Um, when you're younger, right? And then you get a little bit older and, and you see that, that they have some um, chinks in the armor and that they say certain things, but they don't follow through or they have certain opinions and it maybe isn't completely true. And as we get older, then we see that people, their words don't always have meanings, right? And so we see marriages and people on that wedding day, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you. I'm going to sacrifice for you for richer, for poorer, in, um, you know, in sickness and in health. These, these powerful words. And then over 50% of marriages don't last. And so we see these commitments, these things that are said. And, and what happens is this, this, this happens constantly in life. And it can train us to constantly kind of uh, not trust, which is why we read what in John chapter two, where it says that Jesus did not entrust himself to people because he knew it was in their hearts. And what we gotta be careful of is that there's a certain level where it's like, yeah, taking people at their word versus like, ah, how much can I take them at their word? You don't wanna be cynical towards people in general, right? You can, you see people that that they live life and they don't trust anyone at any level and they can be uh, kind of hardened towards people. You don't wanna go that far, but you also don't wanna be gullible where if anyone says anything, you just believe them, right? Um, and what happens is we can take that, that view into our relationship with God. Now, when God says something, can it really be trusted? And so what we actually have to do is for us, as we get up close and personal with God, we actually have to deconstruct this mistrust and distrust that naturally gets accumulated in our lives because as we live, we're constantly let down or, or people don't follow through on their words or uh, they say something, but then they forget about it and it turns out not to be true. That, that, that constantly happens, right? In the, in the, whether it's in the news, people predicting things, what's gonna happen in the stock market, what's gonna happen with the election, all these things. And then they just move forward. It's like, wait, you were wrong. And so this can accumulate in our life. And then when we look at God and we look at his word, right? John 1, that Jesus came, that the word was with us. He is the word. But can we trust that word? The passage that we're going to look at today, we, we see um, people come into this kind of conflict. Uh, with God and we can actually see Jesus frustration with people as far as really being able to believe him Take him at his word Boy when when you can do that just take God at his word um, It changes life it brings an incredible when the Bible talks about peace Tranquility comfort and a relationship with God. It's that sense of complete trust of what he says whatever he says about us, about life, about the future, if we can get to that believability, 100% trust. And we have examples of life, of what life is like when you can get to that level, right? If you're at a pool and you see that 
that kid that completely trusts their parent, right? The whole jumping into the pool, right? You've seen them where they, they're excited, they complete, there's no hesitation, right? They just, they're at the edge of the pool and they just jump or along the diving board and they're, they're five feet up, but as a little kid, they feel like they're 100 feet up. But their dad says jump and they just believe them, they go. There's, there's no hesitation, right? And what a great word picture for us as far as what God desires. You don't have to hesitate when God says jump. You don't have to hesitate when he warns you about something or says stay away from that or do that. You can just kind of jump. I remember early on in my, my Christianity, I, I allowed myself to, for the first time, to kind of come under authority, which was really hard because, as you guys know my story, growing up in a, in a very chaotic home, multiple dads, um, quickly I began not to trust authority and, and authority figures. But I realized when I first became a Christian that I had a kind of a rebellious spirit in me, and that kind of translated into my walk with God as far as how I viewed him. And so one of the things I decided to do is to kind of allow myself just to be mentored by someone. So this man named Dan Wanigan, for one year, I told myself, I'm just gonna, he was a Christian I really respected, good family, the way he did life, I just kinda, and so I wanted to kinda test myself of, what if I just said I'm gonna do whatever he says? And in a biblical context, right? And so we would meet weekly, uh, I remember he was a, 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 a very busy guy, so he's like, the only time I can meet with you is about, uh, I think it was like 5 or 5.30 in the morning, which for a young college student was, that was brutal. Um, but I was committed. I, I wanted to spend time, and I wanted to kind of be mentored as a man. And I knew I needed that. I needed to know what it, what does it mean to be a man of God. I didn't really have that, that concept down. So for one year, we went through the book of James. But I told myself, whatever he said, and as we read things, and I just grilled him about money, about relationships, about dating, uh, about, I remember I'd even run things by him like my humor. Like I remember um, we were talking about our words and being careful with our words. And, I, and I'm super sarcastic. I'm still today. But back then, I was horrible. I, I used sarcasm to really quickly and easily cut people down because it was just fun. And I used to do it a lot when I was younger. And so I kind of just brought that into my Christianity. And... Um, but it hurt relationships, and I noticed that I, I couldn't get real close to people. And I remember Dan just saying, what if you use your humor, only rip on yourself, don't rip on others. Try that for, for like one week or two weeks. He said something like that. But just biting my tongue and having an opportunity to be funny and to say something, and, and just, I remember just that struggle, but just, no, just trust him, just trust him. And I remember doing it for a little while and people actually noticing, like at work, people noticed that my humor was a little bit different or they noticed that I was ripping only on myself, not other people. And it was really transformative as far as that was a building base in my life. As far as just trusting someone, even if I disagreed or if I didn't understand, just let them speak into my life and then just do it. John chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 43. And watch how this plays out uh, in this story here. Now remember, we're, we're in this place where Jesus is going from the south of Israel and he's traveling up north. And now we're going to pick up a story where he's in the northern part. So um, he was in the south and uh, where Jerusalem is. And he traveled through Samaria. So last week we looked at the power of Jesus going through Samaria, these people that they weren't true, the Jewish people didn't really view them as truly God's people. 
and his outreach towards them. And, and in that story, it's really powerful as far as it's interesting how quickly they accepted Jesus. And it says that many came to believe him, right? And so he's now going up north back into kind of more of a Jewish community. And we pick up where uh, he was in John chapter 2. He's in northern Israel and back kind of where he was in the first part of John. So it says, after the two days he left for Galilee, after two days being in Samaria, kind of central Israel, he goes back up to Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. This is verse 43. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his country. And he's going to be illustrating this. He was just in Samaria, which is technically kind of not his country in a sense. Uh, and how they honored him, they took him at his word, they listened to him, and they, they came to believe him as the Messiah. And he's, and he's noticing that it's more difficult uh, to do that in his own country. People that know him are having a difficulty believing him. So it says, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem in the Passover festival. He did a lot of miracles in the previous chapters, right? For they also had been there. So there's a huge festival where people travel down, and now they're back home. Uh, but they saw Jesus do these miracles in southern Israel. Verse 46, it says, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. So that happened a couple chapters earlier. And it says that he's back in this small town. And it says there was a, a certain royal official, official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Capernaum was about uh, a day's walk. Uh, from where he is in, um, in Cana. So it's a, it's a city that's pretty, pretty close. So royal official, we don't know. Uh, the Bible doesn't say if this royal official is uh, a Jewish person, um, is um, a Greco-Roman person. It uh, doesn't say anything, but this person has, has power, has authority um, in this area. And it says, When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Now, if his son was at this point, this man had probably used a lot of other options. Jesus probably wasn't his first option. He's a man of wealth. He's a man of power. Uh, There's a lot of things as far as whether just they had physicians back then uh, or even using other kind of uh, religions and um, kind of spiritual doctors to do things. And so he probably went through all these things and now he's really, really desperate. And he goes to Jesus. Probably a lot of us can identify with that, right? Where Jesus isn't the first option, he's the last option. And, um, and so we go to him after we tried a lot of other things. And so it says here where Jesus actually says to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. And this is really interesting. Jesus says, Go, your son will live. That has to be a little bit of a, a, of a letdown there. Uh, because you want Jesus with you. You want him to go with you. Just him saying go, he hasn't done anything. He hasn't said any, you know, kind of spiritual things. He hasn't, um, he's not providing you with something as far as use this ointment. Do, there's nothing tangible there. He just hears you and he says, go, everything's going to be all right. 
And this man could almost feel kind of just shoot away or just kind of like, wait, I'm just being, can Jesus really do a miracle by just, he just says, go, don't worry about it. It's all taken care of. And so what's interesting about this too is this story, the reason John's giving us this story, just so you know, is he's, he's comparing the Samaritans. If you want to go reread John chapter 4 early on, he's comparing the, uh, comparing the faith of the Samaritans with what Jesus was dealing with with his own people. Again, when we read last week, uh, the Samaritans didn't ask for, Jesus didn't do any miracles. He just spoke truth. He spoke the words of God from God, and that transformed their lives. And what he's saying with the people that are close to God or should be close to God, the people of God, right, this Jewish nation, is that words aren't enough. They want God to do things for them. His words aren't enough. And so then we have this royal official where are God's words enough where he just says, go. He hasn't done anything. I don't have any evidence. I don't have any proof. He's not giving me anything tangible but just his words. It says then that the man took Jesus at his word and departed. That's huge. Jesus just says, go. And he takes him at his word. Jesus says it, so I go. I trust him. It says, while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time which Jesus said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. That word believed too, entrusted themselves. Again, this is a theme that I've been talking about, believe, right? When in John chapter two, where Jesus did not entrust himself to people, that just means to believe. And it says that he entrusted himself to God. Why did he entrust himself to God? Well, partly because of the miracle, but also he, he believed the words of God, not just the acts of God. And this was kind of uh, Jesus' frustration with people is they didn't want just the words of God. They wanted the acts of God. They wanted the miracles. That's kind of what sustained their belief in him. And, he was, and what John's trying to show us here is as we get up close and personal with Jesus is that Jesus wants us to believe more in the words that the words of God are what bring transformation to our life, not necessarily the acts of God. And what we can live even in today is we can live with this constant mindset of, I can trust God when I see the acts of God around me and in my life, when he's constantly changing my circumstances. When he's, so I believe him when there's evidence. And what we miss out is true transformation in our lives comes when we just believe the words of God, whether the evidence is there or not. And so John in chapter four, if you're reading through this book, um, we want to sit on this chapter because uh, John's showing how Jesus, kind of the heart of God, and how the Samaritans got to experience God because they believed his words. They didn't demand all these miracles. They, they realized that the words of God 
are really what bring joy and peace and trusting the words, whether we see anything or not, that that's where they really experience Jesus. And where the Jewish people were having a hard time experiencing Jesus, they just wanted to see the acts of God. This miracle that Jesus did, um, it's, it's significant. Um, just so you know, in the whole book of John, there's only eight miracles that, um, that John reveals. And so each one is very important. Again, John could have written a lot of things about Jesus. Uh, so everything he writes is very important. It's methodical and it's purposeful. And so we see this as far as John chapter 2, Jesus turning the water to wine. Uh, John chapter 4, where he, um, he heals this official son. John chapter 5, he's going to heal a, a crippled man who couldn't walk. John chapter 6, feeding of the 5,000 with a happy meal. Um, and that, that's actually the only um, uh, miracle that John does that the other Gospels talk about, Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke. So all these miracles, um, seven of the eight miracles that John writes about are not in any of the other Gospels. So John's, each miracle shows us uh, an aspect about Jesus. If you're reading through John, I encourage you to maybe just take time, maybe take a week, and just read these miracles that Jesus does and, and what we can learn about God through each one of these miracles. So John chapter 2, there's a miracle. John 4, John 5, John 6, almost every chapter. Um, John 6 is where Jesus walks on uh, water, uh, where he walks on water. Uh, John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. Um, John chapter 11, he actually resurrects a, uh, a friend of his, uh, Lazarus. And then John chapter 21, after Jesus died and rose again, um, he does a miracle, um, a fishing miracle. And so they weren't catching any fish, and all of a sudden there's abundance of fish out of nowhere. So each one of these miracles shows something uh, about God. But with each one of these miracles, what's interesting is, and we see this throughout John, is that... Jesus, there's almost a rebuke as far as when there's, um, there's an overemphasis as far as my faith is based on acts of God, not the words of God. Jesus is always bringing them back uh, to that the miracles prove that Jesus is God. But they shouldn't necessarily prove the, um, uh, the validity of our faith. Our faith is in the words of of God. And so that's what he's showing here is whereas the Samaritans believe Jesus at his word and they experience salvation. And the Jewish people were having a difficult time with salvation because they were just, they were wanting to see kind of the works and the miracles of God and they kind of um, disregarded the words of God. A couple of things I just want to pull out of this, this passage as we, as we talk about this up close and personal with Jesus. Why did John write this story? A couple things I just want to just encourage us with today. The first one is this, and if you're writing things down, if you're taking notes, this, this would be maybe one of the points is um, the power of God in our life is his words to us, not he, what he can do for us. Let me say that again. The power of God in our life this is really important. The power of God is his words to us, not what he can do for us. And I think John's trying to show this. 
um, the big thing about Jesus and Christianity, and you've heard this before, is it's a relationship, not a religion, right? There's this, this relationship piece that is what makes Christianity powerful. And let, let me kind of um, compare and contrast uh, religion and, and relationship. What do I mean by this? Is religion seeks what God can do. When I'm religious, I'm seeking mainly what can God do for me. That's a religious thing. Relationship seeks who God is. So when I'm in a relationship, I'm seeking that person. I'm seeking who they are. I'm seeking their heart, right? We see this with dating relationships, you know, things like that. Uh, I'm seeking their heart. I'm asking questions. I'm trying to get to know them. Religion doesn't necessarily care about who that God is, only what they can do for them. Uh, another way of putting this is religion seeks God's power to change circumstances, where relationship seeks God's power to change me. And without knowing it, many of us can kind of drift into this relationship God where it's really seeking God based off change my circumstances, make things better, change my finances, change this person, change the situation at work, change, 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 and it's all external. And what we don't realize is the power of knowing God is he primarily wants to change us, not our circumstances. And that's what was frustrating the Jewish people is they were wanting him to do certain circumstances that benefited them. And so they, they had a hard time getting close because Jesus wouldn't do it. And some of us, if our circumstances don't change, it really shows that we don't have a faith in God, that we just uh, want something from God. We don't want him. We just want something from him. Let me show you this as far as um, John chapter 6. This is illustrated more as far as, I, again, I want us to see the heart of Jesus as far as with our relationship with him, what he's desiring here. Because there's a, there's a little bit of a rebuke in John chapter 4 um, to the people. Remember, Jesus said that unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. That's a, that's a, a statement of frustration, <laughs> right? He, he's, he's not commending them for this type of outlook. Uh, there's a little bit of a rebuke going on, and he's, and, and he's trying to compare them to these people that supposedly aren't close to God and how they just believe them at his word. Um, if we jump forward to John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, it's interesting, and Jesus, Jesus uh, says this with more clarity as far as what his heart is and what he's trying to get um, across. In John chapter 6, uh, the beginning of the chapter, Jesus feeds uh, 5,000 people with a happy meal, and we'll look at that in a few weeks as far as that miracle there. Uh, and then he also walks on water. When he does these two things, it says that the crowds were swelling. He was getting thousands and thousands of people, and that uh, the crowds were getting huge. And so it looked very successful, right? It looked very, Jesus looked very successful because a lot of people were coming around him, and, and that's success, right? We, we do that with churches today. If there's a lot of people there, then there must be success. And it's always interesting to see what Jesus does with perceived success and how he interacts with it. And it says that they, the reason these crowds were coming around were, well, the miracles, right? These miracles and that people wanted them, um, that they were wanting Jesus to become king, a political king. And it says that uh, when this happened, that Jesus drew away from the crowds. So this is all happening in John chapter 6. He drew away from them because he knew that, that they wanted to make him a political king. And what Jesus didn't realize is he wanted to be their spiritual king. 
And it's interesting where sometimes we bring our desires of what we want God to be, and that's different than who God actually is. Right? I want God to be this genie that when I rub the bottle that I get three wishes and that everything turns out the way I want it to. Um, maybe we come to God as far as just, um, you know, with a, a, a certain, we kind of label him in a certain way. And that's dangerous because God doesn't work in the ways that sometimes we want him to work. And that's the beauty of really knowing who he is. When you know who he is, you know what he provides. So then we pick up where Jesus then is in this circumstance where his popularity is growing. Check this out. Um, in John chapter 6, it says, But Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining about this. Okay, stop. So in John chapter 6, the crowds are swelling. Everything's looking good. He's getting really popular. So what does Jesus do? He says these words. He goes, listen, you can't have real life unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are like, what the heck? Now the crowds are like, what are you talking about, dude? Like you were cool when you were doing miracles and doing all that stuff. Now you're saying stuff that we don't understand, that we don't like, and that sounds really weird. Again, not understanding his words. They were just into kind of his miracles and powers. And so Jesus reiterates this. He's like, listen, you, you don't have life unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, this happens, and it says, this is where we pick up. It says, uh, but Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining about this. And so now people are complaining about Jesus because of his words. And he said this to them, is this offensive to you? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. Look at what Jesus says. This is verse, uh, we're in chapter 6, verse 63. It says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. What he's saying is real life is found in the words of God, believing the words of God, trusting the words of God, acting on the words of God. This compares, again, from chapter 6, go back to chapter 4. This man his, uh, that he believed when he trusted the words of God before he saw the miracle of God. He didn't wait for evidence. He trusted God immediately based off his words. And Jesus says, this is where we can get into um, difficulty in our walk with God. Because, but there's spirit and there's life in the words of God. Life is in the words of God. He goes on to say, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it would be who would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted by the Father. Now, these words are difficult. So in verse 66, it says, As a result of this, many disciples left and would no longer walk with him. True life and true discipleship, as we get up close and personal with Jesus, is one who seeks that personal relationship of understanding and believing who God is and accepting him for his words, not accepting him for his miracles. And that's the big difference because many of us, we base our faith off of our circumstances. I'll trust God if things work out. And what God wants to believe is to be believed in his words. 
in every one of his words, that we can trust him when he says to do life this way, when he says eternal life, when he says a good life, when he says a, purpose, a purposeful life, when he says a life as far as having significant relationships, how to do relationships, all this kind of stuff. But every one of these words that we can believe him, and that's what it means to really have faith. And that life comes from believing his words. Because of his words, though, it says that many disciples left and would no longer walk with him. Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to leave also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the, here we go again, the words of eternal life. And we have already believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He's saying, we know who you are. Beyond what, we can, what you can do for us, we know who you are. God desires that we know who he is, that we believe what he says, so that he can then truly change us rather than our circumstances. And here's why, because God's looking to change us for eternity, not our circumstances just for the here and now. Many times our faith can be built around the here and now. We're living for these next five years, 10 years. We're living for, uh, again, physical things. We wanna see God do uh, things and transform our, 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 you know, in a tangible way, the things around us. But God primarily wants to work in us. The problem of our world are not the external things. The problem of the world is what's in our hearts. And when Peter realizes this, and the disciples said, no, no matter what you say, we believe your words that you are the way, truth, and the life. And Jesus answered them. He says, did I'm myself not choose you the 12 and yet one of you is a devil there goes jesus always ending things awkwardly right things are going pretty well and jesus just says things that end awkwardly and it says now he meant judas the son of simon iscariot for he was one of the 12 was going to betray jesus and that's the thing about jesus is he has no problem speaking truth he has no problem being direct and in fact he even says here he has no problem being offensive. Why? Why does he have no problem doing that? Because he realizes the truth is what we need. The truth about who we are, the truth about this life, and that it's the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that sets us free. The first thing that John's trying to show us again is that to really experience the power of God, it's when we believe and act on his words not believe once we see kind of evidence of what he can do for us. So when he says, listen, do relationships this way, trust me, even if it doesn't make sense, even if the world around says that's not the way to do it, we trust him at his word, and then we see evidence later on. But we trust from the beginning because of who he is. We can trust him. And how much peace does that bring? Well, you don't have to wonder, again, it's sometimes we make God kind of optional in life. Like he's one, he's one of many options. So let me hear his words and then let me take in these other words. We don't have to go anywhere else. We don't have to Google anything else. We have the source of life. And to me, that just brings such peace. Because he has everything he says comes true, is true is for our good and is always good. 
And if your faith starts there, then it takes away the worry. It takes away the, the, the sense of wondering what's going to happen. I can just trust God. Trusting him at his word as soon as he says it. Uh, this, the second point really is this, and it kind of comes from the first point, is what Jesus is showing is that faith is acting on God's word, not just weighing his words. It's acting on his words, not weighing his words. As far as if he says it, I go. I don't weigh it as far as like, well, what's the, you know, what's the reality of it? Uh, how much truth is there in that? Will that really be beneficial? We, can, we, hear, we, hear, we read the Bible or we hear God's word, and I think without knowing it many times, we're kind of like, ah, can I really trust it? And we kind of sit on it for weeks and months. And what I find is the longer we sit on God's word, the less we obey it. Rather than just he says it, I believe him. This is what Hebrews 11 talks about. Uh, Hebrews 11 one says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is the whole, I live by faith, not by sight. I don't have to wait to see if what God says is true. I can just believe him. Whatever he says about how to do money. Hey, be generous in your money. Be someone who gives, not just to the church, but gives to those in need, knowing that I'll give to you. And here's what we do. We say, okay, I kind of believe you, but I'm going to wait for you to bless me more. Then I'll become generous. And so we don't just believe God on his word. Even if you don't feel like God's been generous to you yet, he says, be someone who gives. I will fill you up. Then I just trust him before he fills me up. I just trust him. Uh, this is how you do relationships. Forgive as you've been forgiven knowing that love will transform them. And what we want to do is we want that person to be transformed first. I'm not going to forgive them until they change. But the Bible says, no, you forgive first, and that brings the change. Again, the, the words of God, if we look at them at value, they are offensive to us. And this is why we weigh them. We don't act on them. Because if you think about what the kind of life that God's asking us to live, the words that he says, they're, they're really offensive to our soul. They're, they're offensive to our minds. They're offensive to the world. And this is where we can struggle. And sometimes I believe that we, we, we think about it too much, sit on it too much, rather than just wait. Do you know who he is? The creator of the universe, king of kings and lord of lords. He created you. He knows you. Just trust him. Act on it. In Hebrews 11, it, it talks about this kind of faith where it says, listen, we see what this, this kind of faith is. Noah, when, when God told him, listen, you're going to build an ark because I'm going to flood the earth. That had never happened before. And so and Noah started building the boat without a cloud in the sky. And what many of us will do, we're like, yeah, I trust God, but I'm not going to build the boat until I start seeing some clouds. I'm not going to build the boat until I start seeing some rain. And here, here's what we don't realize is Noah lived in a desert. That's where he lived. Like you really have to have faith where God's like, build a boat. And that's where the Bible says that Noah was a man of faith. Why? He started building the boat before there was a rain cloud in the sky. But here's the thing. His faith saved him. He believed the word of God, and that faith saved him. If he would have waited for the rain, he wouldn't have built the boat in time. And it goes on to talk about other people of faith, right? They acted on the word of God. They didn't weigh the word of God because they would have been too late. Some of us were too late in our faith. 
because we're always weighing the words of God, we never really experience God in our lives because we're always waiting. Maybe we're waiting when God says, listen, to truly have eternal life, you've got to give your life to me. You have to, you have to die to yourself and rise again. And we're weighing those words. We're not acting on those words. And so I don't want to die to myself. And so we're kind of in this weird spot where we're observing God, but we're not experiencing God. We're, we hear God, but we don't really receive it, his words, where it transforms us. Do I really believe that if I lay down my life, my wants, my desires, my way of doing my, my way of thinking about life, will I really resurrect into someone new? Someone where God can really use me, where God can really change me, where God can really free me. We struggle with that. Why? Because we weigh the words of God rather than acting on the words of God. And so I guess my question this morning is this, as, as we just kind of think about this chapter. The question is this, is God optional in your life or is he essential to your life? That's my question for me. Is God optional in your life or is he essential? Is he optional as far as, well, he says something and I'll, I might do that. Is he optional as far as like, oh, those are good words of God, but I read it in this book here, or I Googled this, and that makes more sense to me. If our faith is based off what makes sense, we're going to always be an observer of God. We'll be a, a, a fan of God, but we'll never move to being a follower of God. What I'm getting out of John chapter 4 is this. Jesus wants to be believed on his words. That truly to be transformed... I don't need to base it off seeing miracles. The miracles will come, but my faith isn't based off miracles. My faith is based on the words of God. So however he says to have eternal life, I have to die to myself and rise anew in him. Then I'm going to trust him and I'm going to act on making sure that I truly die to myself. That I don't let my own desires, motivations rule me, but I allow him to resurrect me. That whatever he says about money, whatever he says about relationships, whatever he says about um, my motives, whatever he, that I'm just going to believe that he's essential to truly having a good life here, but also to having eternal life. We're going to see that this is the struggle. This is going to be a theme throughout John. Where people like God as far as what he can do for them, but they struggle as far as receiving who he really is, and just believing him at his words. So this week, I want to challenge us with this. What would our week look like if God is essential and he's not optional? What would my desire to read the words of God as far as if his words are truly life, like Jesus said in John 6, if his words are spirit and life, that life is really um, born out of his words, then that gives me a desire to engage in his word. Give me motivation to read the Bible if it's essential, like he says, that, you, that when he says that you need to drink my blood and eat of my flesh, that he's talking about this engagement that I, I need to, uh, again, consume who God is. And we get that through the Bible, through the word of God, by listening to the word, by reading the word. If he's essential, my motivation goes up. If I can't live tomorrow, I can't parent, I can't be married, I can't uh, manage my emotions, I can't have perspective, I can't have purpose, unless I'm consuming the words of God because they're essential, that's different than if someone's like, well, it's optional. 
Because I can go a few days, a few weeks, a few months without hearing the words of God, engaging with the words of God, because my life will be pretty good no matter what. This week, that's what I want you to wrestle with. And don't answer right away. Because the answer might be difficult. Is God optional or is God essential? And if he's essential, what does that mean as far as him speaking into your life? If he's essential as far as what does that mean as far as when you read something in the Bible or God speaks something in your life that's difficult, are you going to weigh what he's saying or are you going to act on it? If he says, I want you to forgive that person. If he says, I want you to go serve that person. I want you to go start that ministry. I want you to go do this or do that. Do we pause or do we say, I believe you. I'm going to do it. And that's when we experience God. And that's when we, the Bible would say, would experience life. So that's our challenge this week. That's how we take John 4 and really live it out. That's how we get up close and personal with Jesus, is by wrestling with this and allowing him to truly speak into our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, if we really think about this, this is difficult. Because all of us love your miracles. Even someone that's not a Christian, we love when you do things in life. We love when you bless us. We love when you change our circumstances. We love when we cry out to you and you do things. Honestly, where we all struggle is where you want to speak into our life, not just kind of do things in our life. God, I pray that we would be a church that we allow, that your, that your words are essential for us, not just an option that when you say something that we act, we don't sit there and just kind of weigh it and look at the pros and cons, and that our faith would really grow by seeing that, that we can believe you. Jesus, we've grown up in a world where people have let us down. Many people have spoken words. Many people have said that they'll be loyal, that they'll be faithful. Many bosses have said, I want to bless you, and then they fire us. Many people have said, I'm going to love you forever, and then they've divorced us. Many people have said a lot of things. And so we come to you, God, as wounded people that we've developed this mistrust and distrust, God, but we don't want to bring that into our relationship with you because we realize that everything you say is true, everything you say is good, and everything you say works out for our benefit. So God, I pray we'd be people that um, we act on your words. And I pray that this week we can see the joy and the peace that comes where we just believe you. If you say jump, we jump. If you say do this, we do that. If you say change this, we change that. If you say get this out of your life, we get that out of our lives. And God, I pray that your word, that your Bible would become nourishing to us that we'd be excited to read it because it really does give us clarity of life. It gives us value in life. And most of all, it gives us the path to eternal life. Place in your name, Jesus. Amen. You guys, I hope you have a great week. Enjoy the rest of the day. Cozy it up. Maybe you're getting your house looking like Christmas, like we're already doing. Uh, and look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com.